Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Now, I apologize if I do sound weird. I have been sick all week long. Today was probably the first day that I've actually started feeling better, and it is unfortunately the day of all the uh, real nasty business where you get to uh, cough up everything that you don't like to see. And so, yeah, that has been my day so far. Um, A lot of coughing and a lot of blowing my nose. And so, yeah, I probably... I don't know how I sound when I go back and listen through all of this. I'll figure out then, but I, I might sound sick and I apologize if I do. I don't like my voice typically and it's probably much worse so when it comes to uh, sounding sick and nasally. But I do thank you for listening anyways, uh, even if it is uh, hard to listen to. With that being said, I did deliberate on whether or not I should probably just skip this week or not, and ultimately decided that I didn't want to. Uh, we're only two months in. I don't want to be skipping a week already just because uh, I'm dealing with this small sickness. So we're going to go ahead and truck on through this, and we have a lot to get through tonight. So last week's episode, while rather short and ended abruptly, we left off with Harry and his fellow students basically arriving at Hogwarts. They have come in through the front doors. Professor McGonagall led them into a small chamber off of the entrance hall where they were getting ready to go and get sorted. They ended up meeting a few of the school ghosts and the school ghosts were then talking about Peeves. And as they were talking about Peeves, they noticed the the students standing there and ask them what they're doing there. One of them points out that their first year is ready to be sorted. Uh, then Professor McGonagall comes back into the picture. She tells them to form a line, and they're getting ready to go into the Great Hall. Now, as they were talking about getting sorted, the students, that is, they were talking about what that would mean, how this was going to happen, and... It really showed that they they had no idea what to expect, which, again, I talked about last week as being weird with how many people in Ron's family have went through and that they might not have actually discussed what that actually looks like. And Ron said to Harry that it was probably a test of some sort and that he was told that it was going to hurt. And so, yeah, that's that's where we left off. They're, They're getting ready to actually walk into the Great Hall at this point. They walk through the double doors that lead into the Great Hall, and it says that Harry had never even imagined such a strange and splendid place. It was lit by thousands and thousands of candles that were floating midair, and that's what we do see in the movie as well. They come through the doors, and there are candles just floating everywhere. All of the candles that were floating all over the place were floating as it says, in midair, but they were floating over four long tables where the rest of the students were sitting. And the tables themselves had like glittering golden plates and goblets on them. And then at the end of the hall, opposite from where the first years were walking in, there was another long table where the teachers were sitting. Now, in the movies, that scene changes depending on which movie you're watching. And I believe the first movie actually is they they have, it might be the first and second movie that they have the most 
teachers actually sitting up there. I'm trying to remember what it looks like with the with the fourth one in, in Goblet of Fire. But later on in the movies, you see a smaller staff table with less teachers actually sitting up there, where in the first one, you do see a few faces that you actually might not recognize for probably some of the lesser known teachers like Charity Burbage. And it's really cool that they are in there. But unfortunately, in the movies, they kind of get looked over later on in the series. So Professor McGonagall leads the first years up to this table, almost up to the table. They came up and, and halted in the line that they were standing in, and they are facing the other students. And this is, I think, it's not significant, but I think it, it is different than what you see in the movies because it doesn't specify if Professor McGonagall leads them up the middle of the room, but it does say that when they are led up to the teacher's table, they're actually facing the students and facing away from the teachers. It says that the teachers are behind them. And so it makes me wonder if maybe they were skirted around the outside and then brought around to be able to face away from the teachers or if they walked up the middle like you see in the movies and then kind of turned around. I don't know. It's it's a weird way to picture what is going on here that they walked up the middle of the room towards the sorting hat towards well she hasn't pull, pulled out the sorting hat yet but towards the teacher's table and f then turned away from it maybe i don't know it's kind of weird to to think about either way in the book here they get up to the teacher's table and the teachers are behind them and they're facing the students rather than how it is in the movies where they walk up the middle and end up facing the teachers. I think this way in the book might possibly lead to more pressure depending on whether or not you feel pressure by looking at the students or looking at the teachers. I don't know, for me particularly, standing in front of all of the potential peers would be a little more nerve-wracking for me. But it does continue on saying that the hundreds of faces staring up at them looked pale. They looked like pale lanterns in the flickering candlelight dotted here and there among the students. The ghosts shone misty silver. So the ghosts were now sitting in and among the students, which is something that we do see in the movies. After they come bursting in through the wall, they have their own little scene where we, we got to see what was reminiscent of what was earlier in this chapter where they come in through the walls and they get to see all of the ghosts that happens in the movies here when they're already in the great hall. And now they are sitting with the rest of the students. And it says that mostly to avoid all the staring eyes, Harry looked upwards and saw a velvety black ceiling dotted with stars. So he's looking up at the ceiling and he is not actually seeing what he thought would be the ceiling. And he hears Hermione whisper, it's bewitched to look like the sky outside. I read about it in Hogwarts A History. It was hard to believe that there was a ceiling there at all. And the Great Hall didn't simply just open up to the heavens. It continues on saying that Harry quickly looked down again as Professor McGonagall silently placed a four-legged stool in front of the first years. On top of the stool, she put a pointed wizard's 
hat. This hat was patched and frayed and extremely dirty. Aunt Petunia wouldn't have let it in her house. And I'm actually going to pause here for the evening. Talking is actually a lot more draining than I thought it would be. And so I will continue on tomorrow depending on how I'm feeling and how my voice is holding up. But it is actually tending to be very strenuous on my voice at the moment. But again, thanks to the magic of editing, you guys won't really notice a difference maybe outside of the sound of my voice. So if after this portion I do start sounding different, that is... Uh, actually good a good thing it's it's good news but it just means that you're hearing the difference in me recording from tonight versus tomorrow and we are back and after listening to myself i i don't know i still feel like i probably sound the same as i have been uh talking throughout the day i don't notice too much of a difference but uh it is easier to talk today i feel much better than i did last night I don't know why I put such an emphasis on my T right there when I said last, but there you go. You guys get a very aggressive last, and we are going to continue in our story where I left yesterday when my voice decided to poop out on me was Professor McGonagall putting the four-legged stool down in front of the students, put the pointed wizard's hat on it, and it was described as something that Aunt Petunia would never allow in her house. So... Harry's first thought, which goes really well with what I said last week and just how crazy his imagination can get, was maybe they had to try and pull a rabbit out of it. And so his mind goes immediately to muggle illusionists and and what they do. And as we get to probably see from Fred and George later on, and I chuckle because it's just so funny to me thinking about uh, how Fred and George are so also enthralled in their their muggle magic that they also incorporate it into their store later on um spoiler alert if you didn't know that that happens and so it's it's just funny to me that's where where harry's mind goes uh, is with the muggle magic and so from there he's thinking about that and he's noticing that everyone else in the hall is now staring at the hat and so he then started staring at it too and then for a few seconds there was just complete silence and then the hat twitched and a rip near the brim opened and it was like a mouth and it began to sing now i am not going to sing this so i i am sorry to disappoint you if you thought i was going to sing this but i will read what the song is it actually i think flows really well almost as a poem Oh, you may not think I'm pretty, but don't judge on what you see. I'll eat myself if you can find a smarter hat than me. You can keep your bowlers black, your top hat sleek and tall, for I'm a Hogwarts sorting hat, and I can cap them all. There's nothing hidden in your head the sorting hat can't see, so try me on and I will tell you where you ought to be. You might belong in Gryffindor, where dwell the brave at heart. Their daring nerve and chivalry set Gryffindors apart. You might belong in Hufflepuff, where they are just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid of toil. Or yet in wise old Ravenclaw, if you are ready mind, where those of wit and learning will always find their kind. Or perhaps in Slytherin, you'll make your real friends 
Those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends. So put me on, don't be afraid. Don't get in a flap. You're in safe hands, though I have none, for I'm a thinking cap. Now, if you are a movies-only person, you might be thinking, what the heck? Uh, Because they don't actually show this in the movies. It is a book thing, and I, I love it. I think it's really cool. But yes, this is something that they do, and there is a lot of information actually packed into this song. Uh, you get the fact that this is a sorting hat, that he's looking into their heads, that he is also then describing the traits of each school house and what kind of makes up a person who is in that house as well. And I'm not going to dwell too long on this right now because we have seven books to get through. We are going to cover what the traits of each house are and what they look for. Because I think as the story develops, you do see not large changes in it, but I think you see some slight transitions in the makeup of each house. And so, yes, while right now you do have Gryffindor being brave, daring, uh, they have nerve and chivalry where you have Hufflepuff, where they're just and loyal, uh, they're they're patient and true, and they're not afraid of work. And then you have Ravenclaw, who is of ready mind. Their wit and learning make them up, and they're they're just the 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 brains. And then you have Slytherin, who it says you'll make your real friends. So you see, like, also loyalty there. And then you see cunning folks who use any means to achieve their ends. They're not afraid of doing what it takes to win. And as we know, the the name that Slytherin gets is kind of a little bit beyond mischievous. We know that most, if not all, dark wizards have come from Slytherin. I don't want to say that's across the board. That's not a fair statement um, because... It's just not a fair statement. Uh, I can get into reasons why, but I want to have that as a topic of discussion later. And I know if I start to unpack it now, it's going to be a lot and we won't finish this chapter. But you do see that they each have these traits and we'll, we'll talk more about that as the series goes on. But at the end of the song, the whole hall, all of the students in there, they all burst into applause and it starts to bow to each of the four tables and then it just becomes still. It stops moving at that point. And Ron whispers to Harry that they've just got to try on the hat. And he says, I'll kill Fred. He was going on about wrestling a troll and Harry smiled back at him, but his thoughts immediately start going wild again. As he says, yeah, trying on a hat's a lot better than having to do a spell in front of people but he wished that he didn't have to try it on with everyone watching. And he says the hat seemed to be asking rather a lot of them. Uh, I don't agree with him. I think that's actually pretty straightforward and very simple and very easy. It is much better than what his mind was going to earlier. So Professor McGonagall steps forward, unrolls this long roll of parchment, says, when I call your name, you'll put the hat on and sit on the stool to be sorted. And before she gets into actually naming people there's something that i do want to read uh it's about the sorting hat and i actually have two things i'm going to read but i'm going to read one a little after these names but i want to go into one really quick this is about the sorting hat itself and this is from pottermore which if you go into pottermore 
you can go into where it says archives and it has a bunch of different stories. It te technically takes you to a another website called wizardingworld.com, writing by J.K. Rowling. And these are things that she has written. Uh, they are from her. These are all canon things. And so it's not like these are just made up things that are being added in. But I do want to share this because I think it's really cool. It says, The famous Hogwarts sorting hat gives an account of its own genesis in a series of songs sung at the beginning of each school year. Legend has it that the hat once belonged to one of the four founders, Godric Gryffindor, and that it was jointly enchanted by all four founders to ensure that students would be sorted into their houses, which would be selected according to each founder's particular preferences in the students. The Sorting Hat is one of the cleverest enchanted objects most witches and wizards will ever meet. It literally contains the intelligence of the four founders, can speak through a rip near its brim, and is skilled at legilimency, which enables it to look into the wearer's head and divine his or her capabilities or mood. It can even respond to the thoughts of the wearer. The Sorting Hat is notorious for refusing to admit it has made a mistake in its sorting of one student. On those occasions when Slytherins behave altruistically or selflessly, when Ravenclaws flunk all their exams, when Hufflepuffs prove lazy yet academically gifted, and when Gryffindors exhibit cowardice, the Hat steadfastly backs its original decision. On balance, however, the hat has made remarkably few errors of judgment over the many centuries it has been at work. And I thought that was really cool. Just a little bit of background about the sorting hat itself. So Professor McGonagall then unrolls the parchment, starts naming out names, the first one being Hannah Abbott. Hannah then gets put into Hufflepuff, and it says that the brim of the hat fell down over her eyes so the brim of the hats over her eyes and she sat down and that's when it shouted hufflepuff and the table to the right cheered and clapped as hannah went to sit down at that table the next one was susan bones also hufflepuff then terry boot which went to ravenclaw in that time it says that several ravenclaws stood up and shook hands with terry as he joined them and then we have mandy brocklehurst who went to ravenclaw as well Lavender Brown became the first new Gryffindor, and the table on the far left exploded with cheers. Harry could see Ron's twin brothers catcalling. Then Millistrant Balstrode is the first Slytherin, and it says that maybe it was Harry's imagination, probably based off of just everything that he's heard about Slytherins, but he said that they looked like a rather unpleasant lot, and he was starting to feel definitely sick. He remembered being picked for teams during sports lessons at his old school. He had always been chosen last, not because he was no good, but because no one wanted to have Dudley think that they liked Harry. They didn't want to show him any kind of favoritism because of Dudley by any means. Then Justin Finch Fletchley becomes a Hufflepuff and says that sometimes Harry noticed that the hat shouted out the house at once, but others it took a little while to decide. Seamus Finnegan, the sandy-haired boy next to Harry in the line, sat on the stool for almost a whole minute before the hat declared him a Gryffindor. Then Hermione Granger. Hermione almost ran to the stool 
and jammed the hat eagerly on her head. Gryffindor shouted the hat. Ron groaned. A horrible thought struck Harry, as horrible thoughts always do when you're very nervous. And so this is one of those points where his mind is kind of going to go way out there again. And it says, what if he wasn't chosen at all? What if he just sat there with the hat over his eyes for ages until Professor McGonagall jerked it off his head and said there had obviously been a mistake and he better get back on the train? This is, again, those crazy, wild thoughts. Like, what is he supposed to do? Like, he... He's going to get up there and he's going to have nothing happen and they're going to ship him away. That's like that's his thought process there. Obviously, that wouldn't happen. He wouldn't be where he was now if they didn't have any sense that he had these abilities and gifts. And so it's just funny to think that you don't see a lot of critical thinking out of uh, young pre-teenage boys like this or out of teenage boys either. Uh, But it's still just really funny to me. So then Neville's called... It says the boy who kept losing his toad and he fell over on his way to the stool. The hat took a long time to side with Neville. When it finally shouted Gryffindor, he ran off still wearing the hat, but he had to jog back amid gales of laughter to give it to Morag McDougal. Now we don't find out where he gets sorted to because it goes immediately on to Malfoy. It says that he swaggered forward when his name was called. The hat barely touches him when it screamed Slytherin. And so Malfoy goes off to join his friends, Crab and Goyle, who were all looking pleased with themselves. And that there were not very many people left. There's Moon, Not, Parkinson, and then a pair of twin girls, Patil and Patil. Then the Perks, Sally, Anne, and then at last Potter. Harry. So as Harry stepped forward, whispers all around the entire room come out. They start sounding like hissing fires all over the place, saying things like Potter. Did she say the Harry Potter? The last thing Harry saw before the hat dropped over his eyes was the hall full of people craning to get a good look at him. Then he was looking at the inside of the hat and he waited. Then there was a small voice in his ear, which started off with saying, hmm, And so that's the end of that page. And the very next page here is just a very large portrait of Harry sitting here with a probably one of my least favorite renditions of something in the Harry Potter world from Jim K. I love all of his artwork and the artwork itself is really beautiful. Like I really like it. However, the sorting hat is kind of portrayed as this messy looking hat with a really long feather green quill hanging off of it but there's patches all over it like it's patched of many different types of material with many different types of patterns and I'm just not a big fan of it it's not a bad drawing it's just not what I think of personally when I think of the sorting hat that doesn't mean that it's a bad drawing though it is a beautiful drawing it's a really neat rendition it's just not in my taste but the hat's on his head he says hmm difficult very difficult plenty of courage i see not a bad mind either there's talent oh my goodness yes and a nice thirst to prove yourself now that's interesting so where shall i put you and that's pretty much on par for what we see in the movie as well almost as exact same words except for the Oh my goodness, yes. You don't see that part in the movie. And so after the Sorting Hat asks that question, Harry's gripping the edge of his stool and he thought, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. And so 
The hat continues, not slithering. Said the small voice, are you sure you could be great? You know, it's all here in your head. And Slytherin will help you on your way to greatness. No doubt about that. No, well, if you're sure, better be Gryffindor. And that also, word for word, pretty much exactly the same in the movie. So Harry heard the hat shout out the last word to the whole hall. So I'm guessing what that actually means is is those thoughts that was going on there, which I feel like in the movie you see the hat actually speaking out loud, but here it's not what's going on as we already just heard in the the little bit of the history and the makeup of the sorting hat. It can actually use legitimacy. It can look into the mind. And so I think this is actually just speaking then to the mind, but he says he heard the last word being shot out to the whole hall. And he took the hat off and he walked shakily towards the Gryffindor table. He was so relieved that he had been chosen and not put into Slytherin. He hardly noticed that there was, uh, this was the greatest and loudest cheer yet. Percy, the prefect got up and shook his hand vigorously and the Weasley twins were yelling, we got Potter, we got Potter. So he sits down opposite of the ghost with the ruff that he had seen earlier. The ghost patted his arm, giving Harry the sudden and horrible feeling that he had just plunged into a bucket of ice water. Harry's then looking up at the teacher's table. He sees Hagrid at one end. He looks over towards the middle. He sees Albus Dumbledore and says that he recognized him at once based off the chocolate frog card and... Dumbledore's silver hair was the only thing in the whole hall that shone as brightly as the ghosts. Then he says that he he spotted Professor Quirrell as well, the nervous young man from the Leaky Cauldron. He was looking very peculiar in the large purple turban. And now there were only three people left to be sorted. Lisa Turpin became a Ravenclaw, and then it was Ron's turn. Harry crossed his fingers under the table, and a second later the hat shouted, Gryffindor, Harry clapped loudly with the rest as Ron collapsed in the chair next to him. Well done, Ron. Excellent, said Percy. And then Blaze Zabini was put into Slytherin. Professor McGonagall rolled up her scroll and took the sorting hat away. Now, the next thing that I wanted to read was also from Pottermore, and it's called The Hat Stall. An archaic Hogwarts term for any new student whose sorting takes longer than five minutes. This is an exceptionally long time for the sorting hat to deliberate and occurs rarely, perhaps once every 50 years. Of Harry Potter's contemporaries, Hermione Granger and Neville Longbottom came closest to being hat stalls. The sorting hat spent nearly four minutes trying to decide whether it should place Hermione in Ravenclaw or Gryffindor. In Neville's case, the hat was determined to place him in Gryffindor. Neville, intimidated by that the house's reputation for bravery, requested a placing in Hufflepuff. Their silent wrangling resulted in the triumph for the hat. The only true hat stalls known personally to Harry Potter were Minerva McGonagall and Peter Pettigrew. The former caused the hat to agonize for five and a half minutes as to whether Minerva ought to go to Ravenclaw or Gryffindor. The latter was placed in Gryffindor after a long deliberation between the house and Slytherin. The sorting hat, which is infamously stubborn, still refuses to accept its decision in the case that the latter may have been erroneous, citing that the manner in which Peter Pettigrew died as its evidence. And so, obviously, we'll talk about 
what happens there later on way down the line. But I thought that was really cool insight again into the sorting hat and to hat stalling. So McGonagall takes the stool away, takes the hat away. Harry looks down at the empty plates and realizes how hungry he actually was. It seems like the food that he ate on the train was ages ago. And so Dumbledore gets to his feet and he was beaming at the students. His arms had in 100% Creed style, arms wide open, looking out at the crowd as if nothing could have pleased him more than to see them all there. And he says, welcome, welcome to a new year at Hogwarts. Before we begin our banquet, I would like to say a few words. And this is why Dumbledore is my favorite character in the entire series. Because of the stuff that he is about to say, knowing who he is and what he can do to pretty much anyone in the world without even trying. Here are the few choice words that he has. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. And he says, thank you. And he sat back down. Everybody clapped and cheered. Harry didn't know whether to laugh or not. He then looks to Percy and asks, is he a bit mad? And Percy says, mad? He's a genius. Best wizard in the whole world. But yeah, he is a bit mad. Yes. And then offers him potatoes. Then Harry looks around. All the plates had filled with food. And says that... Harry's mouth fell open. He had never seen anything like this. The Dursleys had never really starved him, but he had never been allowed to eat as much as he liked. Dudley had always taken anything that Harry really wanted, even if it made him sick. And so you see more of that torture, that abuse that Harry had at those hands of the Dursleys. But here he gets to eat to his heart's content. And then we see another interaction between the ghost that he had seen out in the entrance hall as he starts talking about the food and the the ghost says that does look good and he's like sadly looking over at Harry as he's getting ready to start eating this steak and I think Harry then says can't you and he says I haven't eaten for nearly 500 years I don't need to of course but one does miss it I don't think I've introduced myself Sir Nicholas de Mimsey Porpington at your service, resident ghost of Gryffindor Tower. Now, I said Porpington because there is a very distinct R in there. Some Most people, I think, say it Poppington. But there is a there's another very aggressive T for you there. I hope you like that one. An aggressive but. Um, very funny two words there, aggressive but. You can, you guys can handle that in your own terms. But in another one. He says, or it says here that it, I think it's Porpington, not Poppington. Poppington would have P-O and then two more P's. Uh, <laughs> I, I just thought of uh, one of the uh, the twins joke later on in one of the books when he says nothing like a healthy P when I just said the two P's there. Sorry, I'm, I'm so out of it right now, but that was really funny to me. Uh, we're going to move on from, from Porpington, Poppington, whatever you want to call it. He's the Gryffindor ghost. It's it's nearly headless Nick, which is what Ron shouts out suddenly. You get to see this uh, beginning of this wonderful relationship between Ron and nearly headless Nick is, is Ron is very blunt and kind of crude in the way that he talks to Nick. And so Nick says that he would prefer Sir Nicholas de Mimsey. And he gets nearly 
not nearly, he gets completely cut off by Seamus Finnegan, who says, nearly headless, how can you be nearly headless, which is what we see Hermione say in the movies, but she does not say that here. It's Mr. Finnegan who gets to say that, but Sir Nicholas looks extremely miffed, and as if this little chat wasn't going all the way that he wanted. And he says like this irritably, and he sees his left ear and pulled his whole head. It swung off his neck and fell onto his shoulder as if it was on a hinge. Someone had obviously tried to behead him, but had not done it properly. Looking pleased at the stunned looks on their faces, nearly headless Nick flipped his head back onto his neck, coughed and said, so, new Gryffindors, I hope you're going to help us win the house championship this year. Gryffindor has never gone so long without winning Slytherin. Got the cup six years in a row. The Bloody Baron's becoming almost unbearable. He's the Slytherin ghost. So, all in that, we just learned about nearly headless Nick, um, his partial decapitation. We learned about the house cup and the first year's being able to do something to help them win it. Slytherins have been winning it. For six years in a row now, Gryffindors never went this long without it, and the Bloody Baron is the Slytherin house ghost. So if you're keeping up with me, that's a lot. And so Harry looked over at the Slytherin table, and he saw the ghost that was sitting over there, blank staring eyes, a gaunt face, and robes stained with silver blood. And next to him was Malfoy, who he was pleased to see did not look too pleased with sitting next to him. And he asks... Or Seamus asks, how did he get covered in blood? And nearly headless Nick says he's never asked. They finish eating dinner, dessert arrives, and then there's conversation going on with Seamus. He says, I'm half and half. My dad's a muggle, and mom didn't tell him she was a witch till after they were married. Bit of a nasty shock for him, and the others laughed. And we see that a little bit different in the movies, and I think there was actually like a... a not so much a meme, but like a, a joke song that was made about it as well. That was uh, just really funny. Bit of a nasty shock for him when he found out. Then we find a bit about Neville and them not thinking he might be a wizard. All of that happens. And for sake of time, we're going to skip past that. It is a cool little story. We'll probably visit it later on as we talk more about Neville. And then on Harry's other side, Percy and Hermione were talking about lessons and then Harry, who was starting to feel warm and sleepy, looked up at the high table. Again, Hagrid was drinking deeply from his goblet. McGonagall was talking to Dumbledore. Quirrell, in his absurd turban, was talking to a teacher with greasy black hair, a hooked nose, and shallow skin. And then it happened suddenly. The hooked nose teacher looked past Quirrell's turban straight into Harry's eyes. And a sharp, hot pain shot across the scar on Harry's forehead. He says, ouch, and he claps his hand to his forehead. Percy asks what it was. He said, nothing. The pain had gone as quickly as it had come. Harder to shake off was the feeling that Harry had got from the teacher's look. A feeling that he didn't like Harry at all. And so he asks Percy, who's the teacher that's talking to Professor Quirrell. And Percy says, you already know Quirrell going into that. But he basically answers and said... It's um, Professor Snape, and he knows an awful lot about the dark arts. Everyone knows that he's after Quirrell's job. So you kind of see that being set up already, that Snape wants that defense against the dark arts job. It is very much sought after by him. So Harry watched Snape for a while, but he didn't look back at him. Dumbledore gets up, says there's a few more words that he would like to say. 
says, I have a few start of term notices to give. First, you should note that the forest in the grounds is forbidden to all pupils. And for a few of our older students, it would do well for you to remember this as well. Dumbledore's eyes twinkling flashed in the direction of the Weasley twins. I have also been asked by Mr. Filch, the caretaker, to remind you that no magic should be used between classes in the corridors. Quidditch trials will be held in the second week of term. And I think that's really interesting where you see him dictating the Quidditch trials here as we see later on that it is not the headmaster who does that, that it is actually the team captains. And so I'm guessing that is just finally a decision that is not a decision. It's something that's just changed over time. You probably didn't really have a lot of those kind of things thought out just yet this early in the series. JK probably expanded on that later on as her books got longer. Then he says, I finally must tell you that this year the third floor corridor on the right-hand side is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to die a very painful death. Harry laughed, but he was one of the few people who did. And he asks Percy, he's not serious, is he? And Percy said he must be frowning up at Dumbledore. He said, it's odd because he usually gives us a reason why we're not allowed to go somewhere. The forest is full of dangerous beasts. Everyone knows that. I don't think he might have told us. I at least think that he might have told us prefects. And then Dumbledore finishes that before we go to bed, let us sing the school song. And so he tells them to pick their favorite tune and they go into singing this song, which if you do see, I think it is in the fourth movie in one of the extended scenes, you get to see this song being sung uh, quite hilariously by some of the students and it goes hogwarts hogwarts hoggy warty hog warts teach us something please whether we be old and bald or young with scabby knees our heads could do with filling with some interesting stuff for now they're bare and full of air dead flies and bits of fluff so teach us things worth knowing Bring back what we forgot. Just do your best, we'll do the rest, and learn until our brains all rot. And it says that everybody finished the song at different times. At last, the Weasley twins were left singing along to a very slow funeral march, and Dumbledore conducted the last few lines with his wand. And he says, Ah, music wiping his eyes, a magic beyond all we do here, and now bedtime, off you trot. And so the Gryffindor first years follow Percy through the chattering crowd, and he's just taking them on their way. They were all sleepy, and they're ready for bed, and Percy's leading them through doorways hidden behind slinging panels and hanging tapestries. They climbed more staircases, yawning and dragging their feet. Harry was just wondering how much further they had to go when they came to a sudden halt. It says that a bundle of walking sticks was floating in midair ahead of them, and as Percy took a step towards them, they started throwing themselves at him. Peeves, Percy whispered to the first years. If you're wondering, that was a terrible impersonation of Percy whispering as I just shouted Peeves. 
but he says, Peeves, a poltergeist. He raised his voice, Peeves, show yourself. And then there was a loud, rude sound like air being let out of a balloon that had answered him. Do you want me to go to the bloody baron? And then there was a pop and a little man with wicked dark eyes and a wide mouth appeared. He was floating cross-legged in the air and he was clutching the walking sticks. And he says, ooh, he said with an evil cackle, ickle firsties, what fun. And then he swooped down on them suddenly, and they all ducked. Percy tells him to go away, or he's going to tell Baron. Peeves sticks out his tongue and vanishes, dropping the walking sticks on Neville's head. And they heard him zooming away. He's rattling coats of armor and just running amok, as Peeves usually does. Percy says, you want to watch out for Peeves. The Bloody Baron's the only one who can control him. He won't even listen to us prefects. Here we are. And so here at the last page of the seventh chapter, they came to the very end of the corridor, which there hung a portrait of a very fat woman in a pink silk dress. And she asks password, and he says, Caput Draconis. The portrait swings forward to reveal a round hole in the wall. They all scrambled through it. Neville needed a leg up and found themselves in the Gryffindor common room, a cozy round room full of squashy armchairs. Percy told the girls to go through one door and the boys through another. At the top of a spiral staircase, they were obviously in one of the towers. And so that's where they found their beds, their beds in this small little room. Five four-poster beds hung with deep red velvet curtains. Their trunks had already been brought up. Too tired to talk much, they pulled on their pajamas and fell into bed. So they had all fallen asleep, and it says perhaps Harry had eaten a bit too much because he had a very strange dream. He was wearing Professor Quirrell's turban, which kept talking to him, telling him he must transfer to Slytherin at once because it was his destiny. Harry told the turban he didn't want to be in Slytherin. It got heavier and heavier. He tried to pull it off, but it tightened painfully. And there was Malfoy, laughing at him as he struggled with it. Then Malfoy turned into the hook-nosed teacher, Snape, whose laugh became high and cold. There was a burst of green light, and Harry woke, sweating and shaking. He rolled over and fell asleep again, and when he woke the next day, he didn't remember the dream at all. So he doesn't remember it, but obviously for us, we see that as a good bit of foreshadowing we we who have been through the series already know what is coming with that though that's the end of the seventh chapter and that is going to bring us to the end of our episode and that's great i'm happy that we were able to get through this my voice held up enough my throat is still pretty dry it is irritated from all the talking but it is okay i hope that there was at least a noticeable noticeable difference at least in the way that I talk today, the way that I sound, I still stumbled over my words quite a bit, but really fun time. Really enjoyed doing this. I apologize for sounding like poop. It is what it is though. If you guys are enjoying this, please like it, share it, subscribe, talk about it, tell your friends about it, share it to your social media, please. I love interacting with you guys. Send me some emails. I had not been able to check the emails this week, so I don't know if there had been any. I will be checking them this weekend, however. But please, if you guys want to talk with me about any of these things that I'm talking about, anything that I break up, anything that I anything that I break up, anything that I bring up, 
anything that I misspeak on, please email me. Tell me if I'm doing a good job. Tell me if I'm doing a bad job. Email is commonroomtalk at gmail.com. Go and find our social media pages. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Reddit. Go and find us. Talk to us there. I say us. It's it's really me. I'm the person who's doing all of the talking. I do have one other person who helps out with the YouTube side of things. But when I say us, I mean me. But I try to make it sound like it's not just a me thing. But yeah, find us there. Common Room Talk. Common Room Talk at gmail.com. It's the same over all the platforms. Come find us. Send me an email. Find us on social media. Talk with me there. Again, thank you so much, guys, for listening. My name's Tony. I'm your host. And this is Common Room Talk. <laughs>